start by discussing the subtle strategy of affliction. The subtle strategy of affliction. The enemy knows that he cannot destroy you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The enemy knows he cannot kill you. For the book of Job teaches us that in order for the enemy to even touch you, he first has to go and get God's permission. So because the enemy cannot destroy you and because he cannot kill you, he shifts his strategy to try to numb you into incompetence. So he will send wave after wave of affliction and season after season of trial and problem after problem, issue after issue, just when you get done dealing with this. And this took your strength and it took your money and it took your time and it took your rest and it took your peace and you finally get on top of it and beat this. And just when you're moving on from this, that pops up. And if it's not this, it's that. And if it's not that, it is something else. It's a long, protracted, sustained season of affliction. Not to kill you, but to numb you down into survival mode. Anybody know what it's like to live in survival mode? Here is survival mode. You wake up in the morning and the goal. The big idea, the creative strategy is how to make it to the next night. You finally make it and you get home and you lay down and you go to sleep. And the goal the next day is to just make it to the next night. You're not trying to make it to the end of the week. You're trying to make it to the end of the day. Because sometimes the trouble and the affliction is so great, you think, I can't even, I can't even forecast two or three days from now. God, just give me the strength to get through this day. Affliction. And the strategy is, he's trying to cause the affliction to have a work in your mind of removing dreaming removing thinking, removing creativity to where the only mental energy and spiritual energy that you employ is to simply survive the status quo of your everyday circumstance. That's the enemy's side of affliction. Now, on the opposite side, when God sees the enemy afflicting his people, God always responds by multiplying the blessing of his people's lives. We see this in Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 when the children of Israel were oppressed and afflicted by the Egyptians. The scripture says in Exodus 1 verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Seasons of affliction are often seasons of tremendous multiplication and blessing. However, it's possible to be in a season where your blessings are being multiplied, but you don't feel like it and you don't realize it because you are so conscious of the affliction itself. 
In other words, I'm trying to tell you that the affliction of the mind can cause you to be numb to just how blessed you are. You can be a blessed person in the middle of a blessed nation, in the middle of opportunity flowing all around you. You can have more going for you than you think you do or you feel like you do. The reason you don't sense what you have is because of the affliction that has numbed your mind. Sometimes you can be sitting on a blessing that you don't even know you have. Look at Numbers 12. Let me build a little bit of a case. Numbers, actually, Numbers 11, verse 21. Now, God has just brought his people out of the bondage of Egypt and into the wilderness. And when they got into the wilderness, they didn't have nothing to eat. Moses goes to God and uh, God says, I'm going to send you meat for a whole month. And Moses responds to God. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. Look, look at that. Look at that on the screen. The, the scripture very rarely gives us uh, quantitative numbers about the amount of people that were coming out of, of Egypt into the wilderness. But Moses said, God, I understand you say you're going to feed us. But here I am among 600,000 men. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the scripture never counted women and children. They counted the man as the head of the household. So we're not saying 600,000 people. The scripture says very clearly 600,000 men or 600,000 households, 600,000 heads of the household. So if you've got one woman and one child for every man, you have a minimum of 1.8 million people that are housed in 600,000 households. Keep that number in your mind and go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. This is back during the Passover while they're still in bondage in Egypt. God told Moses, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man or each household is to take a lamb for his family. Watch that language. One for each house. Uh, go, to, go to Exodus 12 and put uh, verse 3 back up there. I want them, I want them to see it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. Read this last part with me. One for each household. Not one for each person. One for each household. Now, based on what we've learned, how many households were there? Y'all are quick. If there were 600,000 households, and they got to have one lamb for each household to sacrifice. How many lambs is that? 600,000 lambs. 600,000 lambs. Now, I didn't do great in biology. But I do know that in order to get a little baby lamb, got to have mama lamb. And a daddy ram. 600,000 sacrifices meant there were 600,000 mamas and 600,000 daddies to produce those 600,000 lambs that were sacrificed. 
Do you realize that is 1.8 million sheep? That means while Israel was enslaved in Egypt, afflicted in Egypt, in bondage in Egypt, being beaten in Egypt, they were still in possession of 1.8 million sheep. God gave them a nation's worth of livestock while they were being afflicted. By contrast, the nearest free nation to Egypt was Moab. You remember in your Bible, Israel had to travel through Moab to get to their promised land. The nation of Moab in Numbers 31, the scripture says they had a total animal wealth. You see, I'm talking about animals, but you understand in Bible days, that was the central engine of their economy. The nation of Moab had a total animal wealth of only 675,000. I'm not talking about sheep. I'm talking about all of their animals, their dogs, their cats, everything that Moab had was only 675,000. Meanwhile, Israel has 1.8 million sheep while they were in bondage. Moab was free people with 675,000 animals. Israel was slaves with 1.8 million sheep. They were wealthy and they didn't know it because of the numbness in their minds caused by the affliction. Is it possible, Christian world, that you are more blessed than you feel? Is it possible that you have more opportunities than you feel? Is it possible that you've been complaining and talking down about your situation, not realizing right over your shoulder God has been setting you up with blessing and strength, that you're stronger than anyone else in your community, that you're stronger than anybody else in your family, that you're stronger than everything around you. You just don't feel the strength because every day there's problems and every day there's affliction and every day there's pain. So you're walking around feeling like a loser when you're actually a big winner. Yeah. 1.8 million lambs and that's just their sheep. Not counting the fact that they had similar numbers of cattle and horses and donkeys. You know what that is? Livestock. Stock. You know, where we get our stock exchange, originally that was living collateral, living cattle, living investments, breathing, living, walking around. They had a national economy that was wealthy enough to finance their own liberation struggle against Egypt if they chose to, but they didn't see how strong they were. Do you realize, Stephen, that God would not have had to open up the Red Sea to deliver them if they would have just looked in their backyard at all of the livestock and wealth and economy they had? They could have challenged Egypt based on their wealth. They could have hired militia to come and bring them out. God's first plan of deliverance was not the Red Sea. God's first plan of deliverance was causing them to multiply. Because not only did they multiply in people when they were afflicted, but they multiplied in livestock. They multiplied in economy. They multiplied in wealth. But they did not know what they had. So they were walking around numb to their opportunities.
numb to what was right around them. Lay both your hands on your head and shout, open my mind. No, that wasn't a shout. Lay both your hands on your head and shout, open my mind. God's done too much for you, blessed you too much, caused you to survive too much, caused you to be able to make it through too much for you to walk around with your lip out and your head down like you have no opportunities. All you need is God to put his hand on your head and open your mind to what's possible. Shout open! So God has to open their minds to what they really have. And he does so by creating a juxtaposition or a comparative analysis between their oppressor's, in a, between their oppressor's strength and their strength. In other words, God wants to show them how strong they were by comparing Egypt's economy to their economy. So he does it in Exodus chapter 9. Look at this. Exodus chapter 9. Verse 6, God told Moses, tell Pharaoh to let all my people go, and if he doesn't, I'm going to kill all his livestock. Verse 6, and the next day, Lord, let them feel it in their spirit. Let them feel this flow. Let them get in this river. Let them get this vein. And the next day, the Lord did it. All the livestock, you see livestock, but think economy. The next day, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Oh, yeah. Verse 7, Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites died. In one day, God crippled the economy of Egypt. They lost all their stocks. In one day, God shifted the balance of power. In one day, God brought Egypt down and he lifted Israel up. In one day, God did it. And some of you have been walking around like the God that you serve can't change everything in your life in one day. But I declare over you today in the name of Jesus, God is about to lift you up. One day is coming where your enemy is going to bow down low and God is going to elevate your life in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout, I receive it. Shout one day. Exodus chapter 10. Next chapter from where we just were. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. This is the next day after God leveled Egypt's economy. Exodus 10, 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, fine, go. Worship the Lord. Even your women and your children may go with you. I'll let you go. Only uh, leave your flocks. Go have church. Go shout. Go sing. Go dance. Go stomp your feet. Go play your tambourine. But just leave all the flocks and the herds here. Why? Why? 
because God had just leveled Egypt's economy by wiping out the livestock. Then Egypt looks over in the fields of the Israelites and they see economy that was three times larger than their own when they had something. Now that they don't have nothing, God has made the lesser the greater. So Pharaoh is looking at somebody whose mind has been beaten down and made to feel like you are less than. But Pharaoh's looking at them scared to death because he realized in one day the less than have become more and mightier than he God's about to flip the script in this region God's about to flip the script in this church the people that have the least one day you're gonna wake up and be walking in supernatural blessing that takes you over the top I need 50 people to give God praise out of your spirit for what he can do in one day praise go on and shout go on and do your dance go on and serve the Lord take your women take your children go have church but leave your money here next verse but Moses said you must allow us to have our sacrifices and burn offerings next verse and then Moses said something I like our livestock too must go with us Oh, give me an anointing to say this next thing. I want the devil to hear me say this next thing. I want the prince demon in this region to hear me say this next thing. Oh, Holy Ghost, would you anoint me to say this next thing? Moses looked back at that demonic system that said, I don't mind you having church, but I don't want you to know how powerful you really are. I don't mind you shouting and dancing, but I don't want you to know how strong you really have become. I don't mind you singing and praising, but just leave all your lives stuck here and Moses said devil not a hoof is gonna stay here not a hoof is gonna stay here you know what he's saying yeah we're gonna go praise yeah we're gonna worship and yeah we're gonna get wild too we're gonna clap our hands like we wild we're gonna shout like we wild we're gonna dance like we wild we're gonna sing like we wild we're gonna preach like we wild but when we get done we're taking our money with us we're taking our economy with us we're taking high government jobs with us we're taking contracts with us we're taking multi-millionaire businesses with us we're not just after the shout we're gonna take our stuff too look at three people say not a hoof staying behind not a hoof staying behind not a hoof everything in your life everything in your life Everything in your life, everything in your life is about to open. It's about to open. I wish I had six people to shout with me. It's about to open. Open, open, open up. I speak to the finances in the region. Open, open, open up. 
I speak to contracts and opportunities. Open, open, open up. I wish somebody would do it with me. It's prophetic in nature. It seems silly to your flesh, but it's powerful in your spirit. Open, open, open up. If you feel it, give him a praise. If you feel it, give him a shout. If you feel it, give him a declaration. If you feel it, speak about your family. Open up. Speak about your finances. Open up. Speak about your opportunity. Open up. As you're praising, something is opening. As you're shouting, something is opening. As you're lifting your voice. Now, after affliction comes promise. Every affliction will bring about multiplication. But every season of affliction also has an expiration date. Meaning there's a time when God expects you to do something with the multiplication that he sent during your season of affliction. There's an idea, there's a strategy, there's a business, there's an investment, there's a relationship. There's something you are supposed to take possession of after every season of affliction. But the enemy is hoping you will be so tired and exhausted from your years of affliction that when the affliction finally lifts, you will take a break. And place on pause your purpose to pursue the thing God has for you. So when they exited Egypt and they went into the wilderness, God knew that their mind was still bent by what they went through. Because it doesn't matter. Oh, God. It doesn't matter how much stuff God blesses you with. The stuff externally will never be more powerful than the way you see yourself on the inside. So God could pile you high with blessing, but you wouldn't feel blessed and you wouldn't think blessed because of the work that the affliction did on your mind. And so they were walking around with what the commentators say was over 5 million in their herds of livestock. A gross national product, a GNP of today, what that would be worth today in American dollars, over $50 million. But they were slaves, no longer externally but internally in the mind. And you can only possess as far as you can think. Oh God, you can only invest as far 
as you can think. You can only start businesses as far as you can think. And so the subtle strategy of affliction was not to break their bodies. It was to break their mind. So that when they caught up to the massive blessing that God had scheduled for them, they would be in the middle of it and not even know it. They would be blessed and feel cursed. Did you know you can be blessed? That God did his part. You can be blessed and feel cursed. Because of the residue that affliction left in your mind. How far you want me to go with this? You can have a good marriage. And feel like it's a bad one. Because of the residue that the affliction left in your mind. You can have good parents. And feel like they're hateful. Because of the residue that affliction left in your mind. You can have opportunities everywhere. And be depressed, locked in your room, weeping in a closet. Because of the residue that affliction left in your mind. So when God gets ready to give them the promised land, before he gives it to them, he starts sending his word through Moses to target and to penetrate the mind and the places in the mind that were numb and nearly dead. And so God speaks to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is prophetic for some of you today, so I want to read it all to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, because God was saying, you saw what I did in Egypt, how I blessed you, how I increased your economy, how I caused you to have favor and go borrow all the gold from the Egyptians. You see how I blessed you in both cattle, silver, gold, other kinds of livestock. The thing is, that was just the first wave. Oh God, this is so hard to preach. This is so hard to preach. Some of you have been really blessed lately. A lot of you have been sending me praise reports and testimonies, but I want to tell you that was just the first wave. Stephen, I've been feeling you in my spirit. What you just received, it was just the first wave. Pastor John, what you just got on your job, it was just the first wave. You go home and hug Del Rico and tell him that I told him that that promotion he got was just the first wave. The things that have been slowly starting to come in, the season starting to break, God said to tell you that's just the first wave. But it's hard to tell people who have been afflicted that that's just the first wave. It's hard to tell people who thought their greatest blessing was liberation, that their greatest blessing was just coming out. It's hard to tell them, no, that's just the first way. So God begins to drill this prophetic word down in Moses. And it's the same prophetic word I want to drill down in you. If you have ears to hear me in the spirit today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you about what's coming. I want to talk to you about your future. I want to talk to you about this region and this place in San Antonio. I want to talk to you about your family. I want to talk to you about your business because it is time for things to grow. It is time for things to get better. It is time for things to start flowing. It is time for things to take a turn for the best not the worst. 
So God sends his word to talk to them about it. And in verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says to them, Give me my voice back. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. I don't know who this is for, but it's about to get good. I don't know how bad it's been, but God said it's about to get good. Look at your neighbor and preach. Say, it's going to get gooder and gooder. Gooder and good. I know it ain't a word. Say it anyway. It's going to get gooder and gooder. It's going to get gooder and gooder. I know it's been bad. I know there's been problems, but God's about to bring you into a good A good land, a land with brooks shout brooks, streams shout streams, and deep springs gushing out. The prophetic implication of this promise is point number one. God is about to give you multiple economic opportunities. Stay right in the pocket multiple streams of income multiple economic opportunities God never intended for you to bless your family and bless his kingdom all while surviving on one income God said Jason tell him at Christian world I want to open up multiple streams so I stand here before you and I release the anointing of the Lord to give you multiple sources multiple streams investment opportunities property opportunities opportunities with your housing opportunities with your education opportunities with businesses opportunities with creative ideas multiple streams shout multiple streams I want to tell you for the rest of this service I don't want to be the only one screaming I don't want to be the only one shouting if I say something that you think maybe might be a word for you I want you to scream as loud as I'm screaming because today for somebody this is the day God announces that everything changes for you somebody take 10 seconds and shout no I mean shout Multiple streams, multiple streams, Jason Lahua, multiple streams, Sean and David, oh, multiple streams, multiple I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Number two, he said, I'm going to bring you into a land with wheat and barley. Wheat and barley refer to revelation and creative ideas, innovation. You know, my crazy bull riding, beer drinking uncle developed a little patent for a car wash door. That the patent itself is worth over five million, not counting the business. The way a little wheel runs on a track in a car wash door for gas stations in the cold climates that have to close their car wash doors when you go in to get a car wash, five million dollars by itself. Put your hand on your head and say one creative idea. 
can change everything. Now say it like you believe it. One creative idea can change everything. I speak over your life that a revelation is coming to your mind. A revelation is coming to your spirit. A creative idea is coming to you that will shift your situation. Shout if you believe it. Number three, vines. This speaks of new wine. It means in the prophetic spiritual renewal. God is about to take those of you that are dry and nearly dead spiritually and pour in the new wine of his spirit. Number four, figs. He said, I'm going to give you a land with figs. Figs in the scripture speak of rejuvenation. Inner energy. The problem with some of you is when you get in the car from work and you're on your way home, the truth of the matter is you would dream and you would plan and you would strategize. It's just that you are so exhausted. And the energy that it takes to think and plan is almost overwhelming. So you turn that part of your brain off and you put it on the shelf for another day thinking that your energy is going to return, but you hadn't had the energy in years. But God said, I'm sending you the anointing of figs to restore you on the inside, to rejuvenate you on the, I don't know who it's for, to rejuvenate you on the inside. You're going to have to, you're going to have to change the way that you organize your day because you're going to have more energy than you know what to do with. Inner energy on the inside then he says he says I'm gonna give you the vines and the fig trees then he says and the pomegranates I receive the pomegranates Lord if there's any one of these I want I receive the pomegranates let the anointing of the pomegranates come in my church let the anointing of the pomegranates come in my family let the anointing of the pomegranates come to Walsham Road let the anointing of the pomegranates come to our property let the anointing of the pomegranates come to my house you know what the pomegranates mean mama the pomegranate is the fruit in the world that contains more seeds in it than any other fruit and the prophetic implication is this options oh yeah opportunities where you've been shut out of opportunities where the phone's been silent where your inbox has been empty where they haven't been calling where they haven't been booking you where they haven't been signing with you your opportunities are about to abound because the anointing of the pomegranate shout everything is open give god praise everything is open
Number six, olive oil. Remember all this is stuff God's saying to Israel in their broken, depleted state that he's going to give to them. I'm sending you the olive oil, which is always a type of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is that special enablement from heaven that comes on a human being and allows them to do what they would not be able to do without it. And then finally, number seven, he said, I'm sending you finally here. I ain't done preaching. He said, I'm sending you number seven. I'm sending you the honey. I felt somebody's spirit leap when I said that. I don't know where you are. The honey speaks to a finishing anointing. The larva starts out in the honeycomb, seemingly dead and inactive. But the more it matures and processes, the finishing effect is their sweet honey, sweet nectar in the honeycomb. God said, I'm going to give you a finishing anointing. Some of your problem isn't that you haven't started things. It's just that you haven't had the anointing to finish. But God said, wherever you are in this room, I'm going to give you an anointing to finish. And the finish is going to be sweet. It may be hard right now, but it's going to... Who am I preaching to? Who am I talking to? Who is this for? It may be hard right now, but the end, it's going to be sweet. Speak against every negative voice in your mind that's been talking to you about the end, saying it's going to end bad. No, God said it's going to end sweet. A sweetness is coming. Yeah, a sweetness is coming. I feel my apostolic mantle. I feel my anointing. A sweetness is coming. Where you've been broken hearted, broken down, struggling to believe there even is a purpose. God said to tell you, the end's going to be sweet. Mama Dot, I know you're mourning your brother right now. And we're praying for you. I don't even know how to say this to you. I don't want to sound insensitive, but God said to tell you the end is going to be sweet for the family. It's going to be sweet. So God addresses a group of people who had been through so many bad things. He addresses them towards their future and the strategy and function whereby he prepares them for what's coming is he sends them a word about it. I came to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, there's a wave coming. There's blessing that your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, and your heart even hasn't imagined, but it's coming. 
And the way God is preparing you to receive it is he sent me here to say some words to you about it. But we know from Israel's history that it wasn't that the land flowing with milk and honey wasn't there. And it wasn't that streams and brooks and fountains weren't there. It wasn't that none of that was there. It was all there. Give that to me. Triple. I don't even know what this is. But when you walk down here, the Holy Ghost said triple in the name of Jesus Christ. It wasn't. It wasn't that the promise wasn't there and it wasn't that the promise wasn't good it's just all of their time in the promised land God had to continually fight against the mindset that was born in their affliction and I'm telling you this now because the blessing is coming either way There's a virus of blessing spreading through this entire church right now as I preach. The Holy Spirit is the carrier of the contagion. And if you're breathing the air in here, it's gonna, oh, it's got kalarabasha. It's gonna get all over you. But the question will be, how will you manage the blessing when it comes? With a mindset born in affliction? Treating the new thing as you did the old? Or will you have the courage to elevate your mind? I just did a whole series about it the last three weeks. Now we get to our text, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. As you're on your way to your seat, shout one more time, everything is open. See it in your mind. Everything is open. Everything is open. Those stubborn enemies, those stubborn doors, those things that said they would not move. Everything is open. Let the devil hear you say it. Let your jaw clench when you declare it. Everything is open in my family, in my neighborhood, in my house. Everything is. In Acts 16, Paul visits Philippi, which is a region that is currently locked down to the gospel. The reason it is locked is because there is a spiritual demon, a demonic prince whose name is poverty. And that demonic prince of poverty is keeping the people so far cast down that their minds cannot be elevated to have faith for anything, much less faith in the gospel. That demon is in cohorts with a spirit of divination that knows how to tell the fortunes of others. She's selling her spiritual gifts because when you don't have access to true godly gifts, you have to go and pay for perverted ones. Yeah, ah, Jesus, I feel it. 
calling the one night hundred numbers and going to palm readers and doing all this crazy stuff is the workings of somebody who has no legitimate relationship with a real man of God because when God gets ready to talk to you about your future he sends you an apostolic voice who opens the scripture and reveals your identity and tells you what's coming and tells you who you are this prince demon working with this sorcerer is having a stranglehold on the region of Philippi. So much so that when Paul goes in, nobody is open to the gospel. There is no flow. There is no movement. If you read the book of Philippians where the church was later planted, you'll get some more insight on this. So what does Paul do when there's no flow? What does he do when there is no movement? He goes outside the gate of the city and it goes down to the river. When things are not flowing for you, you gotta find something that is flowing and catch the flow. That's a principle you can use in business, you can use in church, you can use in marriage. When things aren't flowing, go next to something that is flowing and catch the flow. While he's there, the only people that are around or a minority group of people. In Bible days, women were in minority groups. They couldn't vote. They didn't have authority in, in courts or with judges. They didn't have authority in their own houses. So Paul decides to aim his apostolic ministry at a small minority group that nobody would ever think would amount to anything. And Paul starts preaching. And of the group, one person responded. Look, next verse. It says, it says, Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. First thing that's coming, open hearts. God is going to open people's hearts to you. People whose hearts have been closed, that have said no, that have denied your bid, that have denied your contract, that have said no to your judgment. People that have had their hearts set against you and they have said no. In this season, God is about to open hearts. Shout, open hearts. The text goes on to say, after God opened her heart, in verse 15, she opens her house. Number one, open hearts. Number two, open houses. Oh, number one, open hearts. Number two, I feel it, open houses. Oh, number one, open hearts. Number two, in this season, God is sending an anointing for homes and property. God is sending an anointing for people that are currently renting to transfer into owning. God is sending an anointing for people who are paying a mortgage to pay off a mortgage. There's an anointing for your house. There's an anointing for your house. There's an anointing for your house. Shout, my house is open. Open hearts. Open houses, open hearts, open houses, ah. open hearts, open houses. Then Paul got annoyed by the devil that was screaming her sorcery at him. And notice she was screaming flattery. Not everything that flatters you is of God.
Bible says she was following Paul saying, these are men of God sent to show you the way of salvation. But she was speaking good words with a bad spirit. Sometimes it's not so much what you say, but the spirit with which you said it. And she was saying it with an evil spirit. And Paul picked up on it and cast the devil out. Now, Paul did not yet have the spiritual insight that there was a prince demon in heaven using one person on earth to keep Philippi locked. That's how it works in spiritual dimensions. Satan can lock up one region with one prince demon in heaven and one willing vessel to be controlled by the demonic on earth. Now, Paul didn't know that she was the one. He is just walking by and she was annoying him with her foul spirit. So he looks at her out of annoyance in the name of Jesus come out of her. But when he does, he unwittingly breaks the whole system of Satan that's been keeping Philippi locked. Number one, open hearts. Number two, open houses. Number three, open cities. Open cities. San Antonio's about to open up to you. The city of San Antonio about to open up a job for somebody. City contracts about to open up for somebody. City real estate's about to open up for somebody. The city is about to open. Open hearts, open houses, open cities. Open hearts, open houses, open cities. Ooh, lift up your hands. That flow is coming right down the middle of the room. That flow, ah, huh? do you feel it? Do you feel it? The flow's here. The flow's here. Open hearts. Open houses, open cities. Unfortunately, by casting out that devil, breaking the economy of the city, because the city was in cohorts with the system of Satan. That's all I'm going to say about that. I said the city was partnering with the system of this world, who Paul said is controlled and manipulated by the puppet master Satan himself. So when Paul's apostolic anointing broke the system, the city attacked Paul. 
the Bible says they arrested him and Silas. They beat him with rods. Then they flogged him. Then they threw him into the inner prison, which incidentally is underneath the parliament government house. So the devil was so foolish that he allowed the affliction of Paul to place him in the inner womb of a broken city that had been up under demonic attack for years. They put the seed of apostolic anointing down inside the womb and let it gestate overnight. And the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas begin to pray and sing praises unto God. Now, they weren't just singing. They were singing while they were bleeding. You had never really sang a song until you're able to lift up your head to God, clear your throat, and sing a song while you're bleeding. There's something about singing while you're bleeding that's not like any other singing at any other time. If you really want to get anointed, when you're bleeding, start singing. Paul was singing while blood was pouring out his back. Paul was singing. And what they didn't know when they beat him was that God set up a system in the scripture that the stripes on the back of a servant of God always provides healing for another people. By Jesus' stripes, we are healed. But by Paul's stripes, Philippi was healed. And the poverty was broken over the city. So at midnight, he starts singing while he's bleeding. And the Bible said the song got God's attention. And an earthquake came. And all... I'm not talking about an open door. I'm talking about all the doors. I've known beautiful women that that door was open, but they couldn't get married because that door was closed. I've known brilliant children door was open but they couldn't afford to go to a good school because that door was closed I've known men with brilliant business plans because that door was open but they had no investors because that door was closed I've known people who could start a business that door was open but they didn't have a capital to raise the money to begin because that door was closed but I heard the Lord say in Acts 16 that a day is coming a praise is going to be lifted and all the doors give God 20 seconds of praise for open doors don't make me work by myself give him praise Something shifting in your life. Something shifting in this moment. Something shifting in this atmosphere. Something shifting in this region. Something shifting in this church.
open doors, open hearts, open houses, open cities, open doors, open hearts, open houses, open cities, open doors. What do you need from the Lord? Open hearts, open houses, open cities, open doors! the economy of San Antonio we are coming for you the members of this church are coming for you I came to announce to the property in San Antonio the members of this church are coming for you I came to announce to the high-paying jobs in San Antonio we are coming for you there will be open doors for the people of this church I'm done, but there's a flow, there's a flow all over here, there's a flow of the anointing of God to elevate and to prosper, and it's spreading all through the place, there's about 30 of you that have had the instinct for the last 30 minutes that you need to sow and you hadn't brought anything up here yet, come get one of these out of my hand and put $80 in it, it's a new beginning, the number eight's the number of new beginning, come get one of these out of my hand put an $80 seed in it for your new beginning today come get one of these out of my hand open doors I prophesy it over your life open doors I prophesy it over your life open doors I over your life open doors there will be open doors and at once everything opened we speak the opening we speak the opening over you we speak the opening we speak the opening over you. We speak the opening. We speak the opening over you. We speak the... Come on, give God praise in the house. 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 Give Him praise in the house. If you don't have 80, but you'll give what you can, come get the rest of these. I gotta go. If you don't have 80, but you'll give what you can, come get the rest. I gotta go. There will be open doors. Oh, there will be open. 